What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the final four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and we're back um, uh, to talk about some new Spartans, um, some news happening around the league, um, and uh, just kind of where we stand on recruiting, Rod. Um, but uh, first, we got two new um, transfers that have come in. Now, one of them is um, they're both preferred walk ons, as I understand. Um, Jason Wittens who was um, with Western Michigan last year. Uh, and then the other one's Michael Peterson, who was with Ferris State last year. Um, what's What do you anticipate um, with these guys? Is, is there a role for them, or is this are they going to kind of be fighting it out with these other five guys to maybe get a scholarship for this year? Well, I, I think that uh, the answer to your first question is yes, at, at least in regard to Witten. So, so let's – Let's back it up half a step. Um, Jason Wittens, people may remember, this is a guy whose decision several years ago, four years ago, I think it was, he's a UP kid from mm-hmm. Powers North Central. Yeah, His decision came down to preferred walk-on at Michigan State or taking a scholarship at Western. And he opted for the scholarship. Now, Michigan State has gotten some guys over the years in that situation. Kenny Goins was in that situation. Austin Thornton was in that situation. So it's not unheard of for them to actually win out in those scenarios. And for good reason, because the history is those guys usually end up on scholarship for at least part of their time there at MSU. And those two guys that I mentioned, for example, ended up having pretty significant roles in in Kenny's case obviously he was a starter on the final four team Mm -hmm. so there's a history of this Witten's made the decision to go with the scholarship uh and at western and i I don't think that was a financially driven decision my understanding was that was a you know kind of a pride thing Mm -hmm. and and you understand that you know guys want to want to be full-time you know have have the perception that they are an important part of a team and have a role to play that's significant immediately, you know, all of that. So I get it, but he was a guy that had a great relationship with Michigan state and Michigan state very much wanted coming out of high school. So I will admit, I didn't notice that he hit the transfer portal in late May. I had read, I was reading something today, an article from back then. I didn't realize 10 guys from Western's roster hit the portal oh man this year so significant now, if you remember they had a coaching change last year steve hawkins who was a longtime coach there was a the guy who recruited wittens had retired i was he retired no he was fired now <laughs> I, I think and um they replaced him with clayton bates who had been an assistant there 
Um, so it wasn't a complete shock, like a totally new guy coming in, but regardless, it was a different, a different situation than the one that he initially, um, committed to. And he decided apparently to hit the portal. I had not been aware of it. And frankly, even if I had been, I don't know that I would have necessarily connected the dots because you assume that a guy in that situation is looking to transfer somewhere where he continues to be a scholarship player. Right. Yeah. Well, that's not the case. Now, whether this was something that was always in the works and it just took some time to, to figure out or whether he didn't like the options that he had and that led him to decide to come to Michigan state. I have not heard anything this kind of came out of the blue to me at least i think to most people Hmm. um but i absolutely believe that there's a role for him now you and i talk quite a bit about the idea that michigan state was a little thin on the wings yeah and and that's definitely the case i mean if you look at the roster right now the guys that are purely wings are gabe brown and then two freshmen max christie and pierre brooks now, we know that Jaden Akins is almost certainly going to play off the ball, too, some this year, the other freshmen, mm-hmm. um, because uh, they've got Tyson Walker to run the point. You would expect that um, you know Jaden will be good enough to earn more minutes than would be available strictly at the point position, because I do think Tyson Walker is likely to be a heavy minutes guy. That's my expectation coming into the season, at least. Um, but there's still there's a need and I'm not saying there's a 20 minute a night need, mm-hmm. but there's a need for somebody with a veteran presence and a defensive aptitude to be there as a guy Izzo can use, um, to hold freshmen accountable primarily on the defensive end. And, you know, there, there's, I rarely get involved mostly and, and listeners know this, the, the Twitter account that we use for this show is one where we do a lot. I do a lot of retweeting. Mm. I'm not out there the way a lot of other people are, but I, I boy, I, I made a mistake of reading <laughs> some what amount to higher profile MSU uh, Twitter accounts. And um, I wish I hadn't because it betrayed a complete lack of appreciation for the history of Izzo's program and drawing from that what you can fairly conclude about this. So one of these types was talking about, well, this is a good move for, you know, making practices more competitive. I said, that's not what this is about. They added, particularly Wittens, they added to play. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many minutes he's going to play, and it might not be a huge role. I'm not prepared to even begin to weigh in on that. But do I think he's going to play? Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. Because they needed somebody like this. So we, I think the last time you and I talked, we're basically left understanding that they were unlikely to add anybody in the portal. So it appeared um, on the wing. So that meant, okay, well, what do they do? They're short of body. Well, I guess maybe Malik Hall plays more wing. Well, now you don't necessarily have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jason Wittens is... I'm going to pull up the numbers here. So he, now we're not we're not talking about a guy who was a huge huge producer at Western Michigan, but right. but understand this: 
he start he has started 37 of um is that right no i'm sorry 47 47 of 51 games for western michigan over the last two seasons mm-hmm. okay he's averaged about 24 minutes a game over the last two seasons so this is a guy who has been a mid-major D1 starter for two years. He is primarily known at the collegiate level, at least, for two things, I would say. His athleticism, he's a pretty good athlete, 6'4", a very solid kid. I think he's listed at about 215. Let me see what they list him. Well, they list him at 185 here on Sports Reference. He's bigger than that. He's a, he's a well-put-together kid. He was a well-put-together kid in high school. Um, and he's not smaller now. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, but he's a, but he's a, he's a good jumper. I, I would say, you know, athletically, he's certainly not in, you know, the Aaron Henry or Gabe Brown realm as a leaper. But my recollection of him, it's probably fair to say he's in the same ballpark as, you know, Pierre Brooks, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little smaller. He's a couple inches shorter than Pierre, but he's he's a he's a good D one athlete, not a great one, a good one. But he's also known for what he does on the defensive end, and I think that's that's the big reason why why he starts I so think, much. You think I would think is why he started so much at Western, despite not being a big point producer, and why I think it would be foolhardy to think that the odds of his not having some kind of rotation role this year are small. Mm-hmm. I think they're large. Um, they, here's the thing. This is a, this is a drum that, you know, I, I often, we often reference Spartan mag on this podcast. And this is a drum that Jim Comperoni has beaten on at least a couple of occasions over the Izzo era. And I think he's absolutely correct. MSU as a team and a program runs into trouble when Izzo is in a position where he can't hold his young players accountable. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? What that means is if he is in a situation with his roster where he has no choice but to let a young player quote-unquote play through their mistakes, it usually ends up being a problem in that season, and it can sometimes be a problem for individual players and even sometimes the team going forward because those young players didn't learn the same lessons that other guys had to in the program when they were young. Mm -hmm. So what is that? What am I talking about there? The most recent example of this, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt is Nick Ward. Um, Nick Ward, if you remember as a freshman, MSU had Gavin Schilling get hurt. They had Ben Carter get hurt. They had no other real size. It was Nick Ward, and then you had Kenny Goins. Mm. Do you remember that horrible yeah. <laughs> game where Kenny Goins had to play center against Purdue? And it was brutal. He had like a face mask, an arm thing, yeah. a kneecap thing. I mean, like every brace you could imagine. <laughs> it was it was rough. But Nick Ward played a ton of minutes and was really productive in terms of the counting stats Yeah, that year. But what Nick Ward didn't have – is the normal approach where Tom Izzo, Tom Izzo's best teaching tool is playing time. Mm -hmm. It's always been that way. 
I think you could make a pretty good argument that Nick Ward's best season at MSU was his freshman season. Yeah. I don't think he got better. I don't think he got appreciably worse, but I don't think he ever got better. Now, is the reason for that that he basically played without fear of, you know, a certain number of mistakes would lead to less playing time because MSU had no choice but to play him? Mm. You can argue that, but I I know which way I'd go. Um, Contrast that with what Cassius Winston went through as a freshman. Cassius Winston only played about half available minutes. I think he averaged right around 20 minutes a game because they had Tum Tum Nair. Yeah. And Izzo held him accountable. And Cassius got better and better. Now, I, I realize there's some circumstantial evidence at work there, but I, I really do believe that. I think another example, I know one that Jim beat on constantly back in the day was going back to the 2001 recruiting class, which was a very good one on paper. It was Kelvin Torbert, Alan Anderson, and Chris Hill. Mm-hmm. If you remember their freshman season, because MSU lost Zach Randolph and Jason Richardson left early, and then they had all those other guys, the Charlie Bell, Andre Hudson, David Thomas, Mike Chappelle group, all graduated. MSU was in a situation where it was basically freshman and Marcus Taylor. And he had to play those guys heavy minutes, regardless of how they played, regardless of the mistakes they made. And I know, I know that Jim, I remember it, and I think he was right about this. I know that he was of the belief that it took that class longer to to figure out how to play the way Izzo needed them to play in totality. Which mostly we're talking about defense here. Yeah. Um, until they were seniors. And they finally broke through, and that group finally got to a Final Four. But I think his position was it took longer than it would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. If he had been able, if he had a roster that had enabled him to hold those guys accountable. Well, we've got a situation where if you looked at it before this all happened, there was no question Max Christie, Pierre Brooks, Jaden Akins were basically all going to have to play heavy, heavy minutes because MSU has no other options. They got Gabe Brown. That's it. And, and figure even if Gabe plays 30 minutes, well, there's still 50 other minutes mm-hmm. to cover on the win. And I'm not sure Gabe's going to play 30. He'll play close to that, but I, I don't know if he'll play 30. Um, now there's a potential solution to that. So if, particularly with Max Christie and, Pierre Brooks. I love both of those guys. I think they're both going to be great players. But I do have questions about what they're going to be defensively this year, Mm. especially early on. And, you know, there are people who believe that the best way to learn is experience, which means you just throw people out there, you let them make mistake after mistake after mistake, and eventually they figure it out. That is not Izzo's blueprint. I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. It's not been the way he prefers to operate. I don't think it's the way he believes works best. And if he has any choice in the matter, he doesn't play that way. What he does is he holds guys accountable. They make enough mistakes and, and demonstrate that they haven't internalized whatever lessons he believes are important for them to understand and to, and to play with. Um, they get pulled and they sit 
and then they get an opportunity again to to learn and demonstrate that they've they've made the improvement and if they have they'll continue to play and if they haven't they'll get pulled again um that has historically been the reason that michigan state players get better Mm. guys like cassius winston denzel valentine as freshmen, guys who were among the best players to ever play in the program, if you remember back to their freshman seasons, they did not just get tossed out there to just play through mistakes. This is a common fan thing, too, about freshmen. Mm. It's something I, I see over and over, and I wonder what program these people have been watching over the years because it is just not the way Izzo operates unless he has no choice. Well, now he's got a choice. He's got a guy who's played a lot of basketball at the D1 level who is a good defender, and I guarantee you he's going to go to him. Mm -hmm. Jason Wittens is going to play. I bet the house. I don't know how much. I I don't think in my mind, and this is just me, I may be proven wrong, I'm not envisioning like 20 minutes a night. Mm -hmm. But 10, 12, especially early, yeah, I could believe that. Because I... I don't have, you know, Jaden Akins, I think defensively is probably going to be ready to go. The only issue with him is strength, but he's a very, very good defensive player. The other two freshmen, I think, I think they've got the, the potential to be very good defensive players, but they've got to learn. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen as much of Max Christie. I just know that's his reputation. Um, and I know his frame is still slight. So there could be issues in that. Pierre Brooks physically is built right now for the Big Ten. There's no problem there. But I've seen enough of him. I think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him defensively. I don't I don't mean that I think he's going to be awful, but I think he's going to make mistakes, and I think he's going to have to learn. Mm. And there, there's no better proven way in the Michigan State program of learning what you need to learn than having your playing time impacted. So this is a good thing if you care about the long-term development of this team and those players. It is a very good thing. And I think it could be a good thing for this team next year. Um, Is this his uh, junior year? Well, you know, here's the thing. I'm not clear on whether he ha- he may have two years of eligibility left. Well, he probably well, does anyway yeah. because last year is a, a write-off. But he also redshirted um, a season. He redshirted the 18-19 season due to injury. So he may have two years left. Uh, he's got at least one. Mm. Um, so that may be a factor here as well. Uh, you know, offensively, the numbers are not – spectacular um he's a career four point a game scorer last year was his best year he averaged 5.4 points a game um decent wing rebounder he averaged 3.5 a game last year 4.3 the year before the troubling stat is his deep shooting in his second year he actually was pretty decent he shot 36 percent from three although not a heavy volume he only attempted 0.9 Uh, threes per game so not even a full attempt per game last year same number of attempts 11.8 percent that's really really bad what's interesting is he shot 89 percent from the line so that suggests that 
there is a much better shooter than 12% would indicate in there. Uh. But, you know, we've seen this before in both directions. It's, it's all about where you're at in an individual season. I, I don't think there's any way that we can truly know how he's going to shoot next season. I, I, th- I think you'd be foolish to expect that he'll be great. But I do take some comfort from the fact that, you know, season before last, 36% is okay. Mm. You know, that that would suggest a guy that at least has to be respected. He's been a good shooter overall from the floor. He's a um, 52.3% shooter from the floor over his career, and he was actually 56% last year. So he's his strength, his athleticism have enabled him to be pretty good inside the arc. Um, it's just the three point shot really just completely lost. Mm-hmm. Um, he lost it last year. So I think with him, you're, you're talking about somebody that they liked when he was in high school. They obviously continue to like him by adding him to the team. And look, the, at this point, there's no downside to this. None. He's, he's, as of right now, not taking up a long-term scholarship slot. So he's not impacting that at all. I think he, again, gives you an option that you didn't have before this and a way to ensure that those freshmen learn and progress the way, ideally, you would like them to. You know, again, I, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but I know there are people out there and probably even some people listening to this who completely disagree and think the best way to go is continuing to just roll young guys with potential out there and let them play through their mistakes and learn that way. That's fine. If you want to argue that point, um, Tom Izzo does not agree with you at all. <laughs> and his history tells us this. Mm. And, and I would say that at least in this program, history says, that's not the best way to ensure that you get the best out of any individual player or out of the program. Mm -hmm. I think you're better off when guys are able to be held accountable and they have to learn how to play the way that you want them to play. And by the way, a way that produces wins historically, which is what fans should really care about. Um, In regard to Peterson, I I haven't seen him. I've seen Witten's play. I haven't seen Michael Peterson play. Um, this is a guy who played at Ferris State. So we're talking about a D2 player. He's 6'6". Uh, he's from Rockford, Michigan, so west side of the state. Um, 30 minutes, been, 30 and a half minutes uh, yeah. last year, 9.4 points. Yeah, he's been part of a very, very good um, Ferris State basketball program. Now, I'm trying to recall. Um, I'm looking Didn't they win up. the national championship? Yes. Uh, and and that's what I'm trying to. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to look up. Um, and, and I believe he was part of that. Um, bum, bum, bum. Okay. So, yeah, they won it in 2018. So, Michael Peterson, um, and I'm trying to find his statistics. Unfortunately, the Ferris State site is not spectacular on that front, but here we go. This may be my answer, but I'm positive that he um, 
he was playing for them during that period. Um, and, and it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we're, I've, I've spent a lot of time here talking about Wittens because, well, two reasons. One, he's a guy who was on the Michigan State radar in high school and, you know, was, was definitely part of, uh, you know, would have been part of a Michigan State recruiting class if, if uh, they'd been successful in landing him as a preferred walk-on back then. And he's got lots of D1 experience. So I'm assuming that he is first in line, right. To have, to have a role. Um, I, I don't know as much about Peterson and, and that's really, really the issue. Now, as it turns out, okay, he didn't play a big role for their national championship team. That was his first year of playing. He played in 13 games that season, averaged half a point a game. He's coming off his best season, uh, 9.4 points a game, Decent year shooting the ball, 30, 35% from three. He's a career 36% shooter from three. Uh, decent volume last year. Um, you know, it, it's – I don't have big expectations. There's certainly different expectations for him in my mind than what I have for Wittens, but I wouldn't rule it out. You know, and we have to keep in mind the the difference between – D1 and D and D2. I mean, we've seen it, not that this is the rule by any means, but, you know, we have a fairly recent example in the Big Ten in Duncan Robinson of making a jump from D3 to D1 and then on into the NBA. Um, I'm not suggesting that's what Peterson is going to do, but <laughs> I also wouldn't completely rule out that in a pinch he might be able to contribute. Um, I don't think they would take him as a preferred walk-on if they didn't think there was at least a chance that if they needed him to help, that he might be able to. Mm. Beyond that, I can't. The only thing I can tell you is um, I do. There is a poster on the Spartan Mag board whose son was playing in the GLIAC, the same league uh, for Lake Superior. He had seen Peterson play a couple of times last year wasn't particularly enamored of him, but he did admit he had two of his worst games against Lake State. So that might not have been optimal viewing. I just really don't, to be I'll just come clean. I don't know a ton about him as a player, other than the fact that he's coming off his best season. He shot the ball decently. And Ferris State's a legitimate program. Mm -hmm. They are, they have become the, the best program in the GLIAC for sure. And one of the best um, basketball programs in all of D2 nationally. So there's there's reason, if you remember, um, I'm trying to remember where their big kid, they had a big kid who I thought might have been an answer for Michigan State, and I'm drawing a blank on where he transferred to. Um, but they had a kid who transferred, and this is a couple of years back, transferred to another high major. I think he transferred to Xavier now, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Um, so they've had guys make this jump before in recent years. It's, it's not just um, the, the, this is the first go around. So I don't know. Um, I think, I think this is one you look at and say, well, that just probably helps you um, improve the quality of your practices and gives you, a depth option if you desperately need it, if somebody gets hurt, 
um, and you need another guy to fill in some minutes. That that might be a possibility with Peterson. I could be proven wrong, and who knows? Maybe he emerges as a guy who's actually worthy of minutes. But right now, between these two, I would say the guy that I'm very confident in having some kind of role in the rotation would be would be the other guy, would be Jason Wittens. Mm. Uh, and so then they're allowed to have seven um, prefer like walk-ons um, um, or just like non-scholarship players. So they still have uh-huh. Izzo. They still have Smith. Um, yep. Uh, and then uh, Peter and Woke. That's right. Uh, we talked There's about another, last time. Yep. Yeah, another preferred, just to refresh people's memory, 6'8", um, 6'9", six, six, a big kid from Orchard Lake, St. Mary. Uh, he's actually one. I think there's reason to be excited about long-term based on what I've seen. Uh, I think he's a guy who could be on a Kenny Goins type path, potentially mm. not a lock that that happens because they aren't the same player. And it's not, you know, he's a different kind of player. He looks more uh, of a traditional kind of post player to me, but he definitely flashes in high school and in AAU. So I think there's reason to be um, at least intrigued by him down the line. Mm-hmm. I don't see a role next year unless injuries really hit big because MSU's got five big men who all look like they're you know worthy of playing time yeah. for those two post positions, so they probably won't need them. But again, a guy who will make practices better and you know maybe has a chance to help you down the line. Uh, and then the kind of the wild cards, the two football players, Keon Coleman, Malik Carr. Yeah, um, you know, um, I, I always, I always find myself laughing though when people, and, and there's a certain percentage of the fan base that desperately wants to believe in Keon Coleman as a basketball player. <laughs> and I, it's no offense to the kid, man. I. I hate this is such a cliche and I hate when people say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I hope he proves me wrong because if he does, that means MSU has got another pretty good player, right? Mm -hmm. But the football basketball thing is very difficult to pull off under the best of circumstances. It is massively tougher to do it. If you are a perimeter player, which he supposedly is, he's a guard. He, from what I saw, he thinks he's a point guard now. I think that's delusional. The only thing I saw on his clips was a kid who's very impressive athletically. So you could say, okay, if you believe in it, maybe he's a wing. Mm -hmm. But even that, just look over the history of it, and you do not see a lot of guards who pull that off. The guys you've seen that at Michigan State and in other places that have actually been productive have been guys who are not skilled players, they're guys who what they bring to the court doesn't tend to atrophy over mm-hmm. months and months and months of not touching a basketball. What's the first anybody who's played the sport knows what's the first thing that goes if you don't if you don't play for several months? You're shot. Yeah. It's gone. You know? You can't take six months off and think that you're gonna be able to shoot real well coming back. It just doesn't happen that way. Um, so I don't have a lot of faith in Keon Coleman ever contributing. We've talked about this here before, though. Carr, the other kid, Mm. Malik Carr, I do think, in a pinch, if you needed a a small ball four type, that's a guy I could see helping. I I thought I loved watching him play in AAU. 
He played on the family with guys like Jalen Terry, Isaiah Jackson, Scooby Johnson, that group. Um, uh, and he was a great defensive player, versatile defensively, physically tough, about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but played bigger than that and plays with attitude, plays with toughness and kind of a an ass-kicker kind of mentality. Uh-huh. So I really liked him. And, and honestly, the one guy who's pulled it off at MSU is Matt Tranet. Well, yeah, yeah. Malik Carr is kind of that. I'm not saying he's as good as Matt Tranen. I'm not saying he'll ever play a minute for Michigan State. But if if I had to draw up the a prototype of the type of player who could pull it off, it would be somebody who looked a lot like Malik Carr. Mm-hmm. That's that's just my belief. So I'm more excited by him than than Keon Coleman by a long shot. But again, this year this year's team. I don't know if I see it because they've got Malik Hall and uh, Joey Hauser at the four, right? Yeah. So do you really need another guy? Uh, unless injuries hit, I don't think you do. So, and even if they did, I might wonder if they might try to slide Julius Marble over there or maybe play Pierre Brooks a little bit or even um, Gabe Brown. At some four, maybe if they had to, I, I, I don't know, but um, that would be the only way I would see it. I, I just don't see a role for those two guys mm. right now. So uh, where uh, do we stand with recruiting? Any new updates you have? For well, us? marginal, <laughs> no commitments yet. And it's, I think the thing that, that has got um, Michigan state people, uh, some worried, I would not count myself as worried, but more curious. And I, I think we've talked about this here, but, but maybe not. Um, I think what we've seen with Michigan state recruiting this year is the influence of the change in the rules regarding transfers. Mm. So here's what I mean. Michigan State right now we know for sure has two openings. They might have as many as five, and of course we're not counting any underclassmen that might decide to leave, which is always a factor now. But Gabe Brown, Marcus Bingham, Joey Hauser all could realistically decide that they're done or they all could come back for another year. We won't know for a while as to how that's going to work out. So at least two slots available, maybe as many as five. Michigan State has been recruiting in a way that seems to suggest they think that they'll have more than two. Mm -hmm. But what's happened is we've seen some recruiting, some suggestion that they're not necessarily going to get all of the guys that they might have targeted. Um in high school recruiting, and yet we haven't seen them really expand the list of guys they've offered. We haven't seen that at all, as a matter of fact, and we're coming up on late July. We're, you know, Peach Jam, the EYBL, you know, de facto national championship for AAU mm. is happening this week. So this is kind of the end of that process. Normally, if you're going to expand your recruiting, you've done it by this point. If you go back to the 2018 class, for example, 
it was in June, if I remember correctly, that guys like Marcus Bingham and Gabe Brown got their offers. Uh-huh. Michigan State has not offered anybody else in the 22 class over this period. And I don't know that I expect that they're going to. So you've got to look at who's who's in the picture right now, and it's, it's interesting. Um, Trey Holloman, who's a 6'2 point guard from Minneapolis, guy they've been hard on he took an official visit in early june uh there was just a if you put value in this um the 24 7 site has the crystal balls that they use yeah (laughs) for predicting and he he received a crystal ball pick by one of the michigan state writers on that site and it's a guy who's got a good track record um so i don't i don't discount it and I, there's been heavy confidence from Michigan State in that recruitment all along. It's an interesting one because on the surface, you look at it and you see Tyson Walker, you see Jaden Akins at the point, you also see A.J. Hogard for whatever that's worth. And you might think, well, God, is there a need for another point guard? But I think what Tom Izzo is telling you is, one, he's never going to find himself if he can help it being in a situation like he was last year <laughs> at yeah. that position because when you're in that spot we all found out what a rough road i mean we've been spoiled as michigan state fans with you know when when the low point when it would have people upset was oh we have tum tum Darren running the point well you found out last year it can get worse mm-hmm. it can get a lot worse um so i think that's part of it i also think He's always done this. I mean, I, I remember years and years and years ago, he had Kalen Lucas and Corey Lucius on the same roster where people didn't think that was possible. And he played them together at times. You know, uh, Kalen Lucas and Travis Walton. Um, you know, he's done that kind of stuff. So he's got a track record of it. And then you look at how basketball is evolving. Look at the two teams in the national championship game last year Baylor and Gonzaga Mm. both were playing multiple point guards a lot of the time so I think that's all part of it and the word seems to be they feel very very good about getting home and he's had a pretty good spring and summer Uh, looks like he's improved his shot a little bit which was one thing that apparently needed work but I gotta tell you not having seen him live I'm gonna I have to offer that caveat the clips I have seen, uh, this is a kid who reminds me offensively a little bit of Cassius, and I know that would be heresy to say that, <laughs> but he really does in terms of the way he can use the mid-range, hit floaters. He's got all those elements to his game. He's also a, a very creative passer. I think he's got a little more hot dog in him than Cassius had, but he's fun to watch. The other thing I really like about him is, and I have not seen a wingspan measurement on him, but boy, he seems to play long. Mm. And I, I've got to believe his wingspan exceeds his height, which is a positive. Anytime it's longer than your height, that's a that's a plus. And I think it could help him be a really impactful defensive player, which matters because if you're going to play him with other smaller guys, that matters, you know? Yeah. You wanna you wanna have a shot at playing up, you know, playing a little a little bigger than you are, and also having that length to be more disruptive at the point of attack, or even in passing lanes. 
you know, and I think from everything I could tell, I think he's got a great shot to do those things. Um, so put him down as a likely guy. And then Michigan State still seems to be the perceived leader from everything I could tell for Jaden Shutt, who's the 6'5 wing out of Illinois. This is an, a really interesting case because he's a guy who, if you believe the rankings, you'd, you'd struggle to understand what all the fuss is about because he's he's in the top 150, but he's not in the top 100. Yet he's had offers from about half the Big Ten. <laughs> And then lately, he got an offer, I think it was last week, from Duke. Oh, wow. So that tells you something's wrong with the rankings, right? Because you get that, and I think he might have gotten a Kansas offer in there somewhere, too. He definitely got one from Duke. And it's not that surprising, because he's a he's a, an Illinois native. I think he's in, in uh, Chicago, you know, greater Chicagoland. I know he plays for Illinois Wolves, who are a, an Under Armour AAU program. Same program that um, Max Christie came out of, by the way. Um, but John Shire, the, the presumptive Duke coach, is like his boss, Mike Krzyzewski, uh, is a suburban Chicago kid. So it's not surprising that yeah. they would be aware. And, and Shutt has had a great AAU season by all accounts. Um, great shooting rep, but in the stuff that I've seen, the clips I've seen, it also looks to me like he's really developed a nice handle. So the, the feeling seems to be, at least for now, Despite the Duke offer that Michigan State feels very confident about him, it prior to that it had been seen as a Michigan State Illinois battle, and Illinois added some other wings. And even before that, the sense I got is they they didn't they didn't think they were going to win that one. Mm-hmm. So those are the two guys that you feel best about, I think. Now the interesting thing is, you know, does Michigan State need different types of players. And I would argue that, you know, with the possibility that Marcus Bainham and, and or Joey Hauser might be set to leave after this year, you would think you got to add at least one post player. There's a guy out of Nebraska, Isaac Trout, who has really been kind of like his, his rankings were a little better than that, but it's a funny thing. All the guys, all the primary guys that Michigan state has targeted this year, all seem to have been very underranked. And now the trend for these guys seems to be improving that they're all going to end up ranked a little higher than they were. Trout's a guy who maybe was seen as a top 75 ish player, Hmm. but he's being recruited differently than that. And the perception of him has started to change lately. Um, Michigan state has been on that one quite a while. He's kind of a versatile four man considered to be a very good shooter, but has some interior game. He'll battle on the glass you know, all the things Michigan state likes in a four man. Um, the perception that I had had is it, it seemed like Virginia was out in front and North Carolina was heavily in on it too. Um, and then maybe Michigan State had slipped behind a little bit. But, you know, there there was a, a post today, as a matter of fact, on the Spartan Mag board by a poster named Amy. And Amy is very well connected to certain AAU programs, including the one that Isaac Trout plays for. And he believes that Michigan State's in a great position. So huh. 
if that's the case, and Tom Izzo has continued to watch him during this most recent period. He's been at his games, mm-hmm. and as have other assistants. Um, Amy says the word is from his AAU sponsor that uh, the family loves Izzo and Doug Wojcik, who's been the primary assistant on him, and they've done a great job recruiting him, and they're right there. So we'll see. He'd be a very good addition. I can't say that I'm convinced they're going to get him, but I don't rule it out anymore. Michigan State did lose a guy who was, again, kind of a, a shooting foreman type in Jalen Washington, um, who plays for the Mean Streets program out of Chicago. He's from Gary. And at an earlier stage, Michigan State was seen as maybe being an early leader, but over recent weeks and months, that seemed to be heading in the direction of North Carolina, and that's exactly where he ended up committing. And the word is, uh, Jim Camperoni had a post um, after he made his decision that the word was that he and those, his advisors, those around him, uh, really had a desire for him to play for an African-American head coach. And Hubert Davis, being the new coach at North Carolina, fit that bill. If that's the case, and I have no reason to disbelieve it, um, you know, there's not much you can do. And I don't, I certainly can't fault a kid for making a decision that they want to play for somebody who maybe shares some similar life experiences to them. They believe could be a good mentor for them in that way. You know, I've got no beef with any of that, but regardless, Michigan state didn't get them. And then the other main guy who's been on the radar for a while is Terrace Reed. who's a six ten big man out of St. Louis. And, you know, he took a visit the same weekend as Holloman to MSU in early June And at that stage, I think there was a real belief that Michigan State was in great position. But two things have happened. He took a visit to Ohio State, and he came out of that one. All of a sudden, the word was, oh, Ohio State really knocked his socks off. And then Michigan got involved, and supposedly they've gotten into pole position. I don't think Michigan State's going to get Terrace Reed. And that's unfortunate, because Mm -hmm. I really like the clips I saw of him. Again, a kid, I think... He was kind of as a top 75 guy, and it struck me as ridiculous. He's the kind of kid that if he were at Michigan State, I would expect him to be playing immediately. Mm. And, and I think it could be really good, but I think it's going to be Michigan or Ohio State. Um, that just seems to be the feel of it. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? You, you don't win them all. The other intriguing name that's come back on the radar and I now no longer rule out the way I had been for a long time, is Ty Rogers. Uh, Ty Rogers from state champion Grand Blank High School. He plays for the Mean Streets program. He's a teammate of Jalen Washington. He's also a teammate of R.J. Taylor, who's his, also his high school teammate, is a 2023 guard who's playing up a year. Mean Streets has been, had a tremendous AAU season. And Ty Rogers, again, another guy, kind of ranked top 75-ish, has just continually impressed people, not by virtue of going out scoring a ton of points, Mm. but for all the other things he does, the way he's defended, the way he's rebounded, and the way he's generally played winning team basketball. And to be honest with you, that's how I see him. Mm -hmm. I don't see him as a guy that's going to, at least not initially, he's not going to come in and score 20 points a night. But man... He has got the athleticism, the toughness, and the technique that I think he could be a plus wing defender from day one at the high major level. And I think he's the kind of guy 
that does things that help you win basketball games. At Michigan State, for a long time, it just didn't feel like they were in this one. Yeah. And there was a lot of talk about Syracuse. Then there was some talk about Michigan. But Ty took an unofficial to Michigan State in Ju- late June, I think it was. And the word out of that was very positive. And he subsequently, I saw a video where he talked about he's going to about taking an official to Michigan State and a couple of other places before he makes his final decision. If MSU does, in fact, get him on an official, it tells me they've really got a chance there. And I, I think on the court, he's a standard issue Izzo guy. I think, I think he would fit in perfectly. I think Izzo would love him and value the things that he brings. I don't know that I ever believe he's going to be a collegiate superstar, but I think he could be a really good college player and a guy who's a key component of some very good teams. He would just remind you of a lot of dirty work guys that MSU's had. And and don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean, oh, he doesn't have game. It's all effort, try hard. That's not it. Mm-hmm. He's a He's a better than average athlete. He's definitely got some game to reference Dan Dakich, but, um, (laughs) but he's not a great shooter and he may never be a great shooter. He's not an eye popping athlete. He's a good athlete, you know? So he's not the kind of guy that you look at and say, all right, I think you project him as this is a guy who's eventually going to be the leading scorer on your team, but he could be a longer term starter. He could be a multi-year starter he could be a big part of a lot of wins. So that's one to keep an eye on. I'm not ready to say I think they're going to get him yet by any means, but I feel a lot better about it than I did two months ago or a year ago. Mm-hmm. That Just to refresh people's memory, Ty, Ty Rogers is related to both Jason Richardson and Tugs Bowen. So put that's that pretty, away. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> that's well, a pretty good tie it, out there. It is, but it, it also suggests, you know, that the the Michigan State thing, um, you know, there may have been, I was always of the understanding and of the opinion that it probably wasn't ever going to go Michigan State's way, much as Tugs did not go Michigan State's way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I expected that he would be bought. I just, it didn't seem like it was Michigan State's kind of party. Yeah. That's changed. I, and it was never about him on the court. It just didn't feel, and things around it just didn't feel like it. But I, I will tell you that part of it is, I think Michigan has not prioritized him, mm-hmm. and I think that that's playing into this. Where Michigan State's getting a different look from him, and those are maybe not even to say from him. Maybe those around him are viewing it a little differently. Um, I think that's part of it. And, you know, then again, I was always of the understanding that his going out of state was a very likely thing. And maybe it's not as likely. anymore. Mm. So. um, So that would be what I would keep my eye on. Other than that, though. Oh, and then there's Kijani Wright, who's the big kid, top 10 player nationally from L.A. He had Michigan State on his top five list, but there's no noise at all about is taking an official, and until that happens, I disregard it. I don't take it seriously. So that's really it. What about this? Um, I see this new this come down not too long ago. Chicago point guard Darren Ames got an offer from Michigan State. 
Have you heard well, anything about that? He's a he's a twenty three kid. Twenty three. And um and uh without going into a lot of detail, I wouldn't put a lot into that. Hmm. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. Uh, I saw that too. I retweeted it. Um I've since heard that that might not actually be a thing. <laughs> There's a lot of point guards in that class that Michigan State is in on. Some local, some Michigan kids, some outside of the state, but I, I don't know if that's going to be one of them in the end. We'll see. Okay. Uh, but but anyway, I guess the, the point here is that's not a lot of guys mm. in play, right? And we're not seeing Michigan State really expand the list of guys they've offered. Why is that? Well, I believe that this the, the change in rules has produced a shift in the way especially the elite programs are viewing things. Mm -hmm. I think if you are Michigan State, you probably are looking at it this way. We're going to prioritize and target guys that we absolutely believe are good fits for us and can help our program. If we don't get those guys, we are not as likely as we would have been to expand our list of offers, taking flyers on guys we're less certain about, because now, come April, you have the portal, mm-hmm. and you have all kinds of guys potentially out there that you can use. To, you know, you can use that route to fill in your roster. Now, that's—I don't think that Tom Izzo loves the portal. I know he doesn't, and I know he doesn't love the idea of—he doesn't want to be running a Boys Town Father Flanagan operation where <laughs> he's got roster turnover every year. That, that's not his ideal. I think he'd quit before engaging in that as a regular course of business. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's influencing how they're going to play it if they're not landing their primary guys. And it makes sense. Why should you take a flyer on a kid you're not as convinced about, but because you know you need somebody? Mm. versus taking someone who has already done some things at the collegiate level, you know, like a Tyson Walker. I don't think Michigan, as I say, I don't think Michigan State's going to operate like, say, the way Chris Beard did at Texas Tech or the way that um, Fred Hoiberg did when he was at Iowa State. I don't think it's ever going to be a deal where they're looking to add five guys as transfers. Yeah. But might they, let's say, for example, that they land Holloman, and they land shut, and that's it. They don't get anybody else, out of the, which is a distinct possibility, out of the high school ranks. And let's assume that they end up with at least four slots. And we'll say at least one of those is a big kid. Might they go out and fill a, bring in a couple transfers? Yeah, I think so. And there are going to be kids that are going to be kicking the doors down to play at a Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That route. I mean, make Especially no mistake. Especially when you can make money with it now. Well, I've had that too. You make a good point. Um, kids from the mid-major level wanting to come up and have better opportunities. But think about it. If, if you're Michigan State, so I go back to let's look at a class like the 14 class, right? Where was it 14? Yeah, where they they got they missed on a ton of guys. That was um, Okafor and Tyus Jones and Cliff Alexander. There were all those guys, yeah. right? Yeah. 
And so they ended up with a class of Tum Tum Nairn, Javon Bess, and um, and uh, Clark. They probably don't extend offers to all of those guys in the spring if it's happening now. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. They just won't. I, I am convinced of it, that they're not going to do that. And, and so, you know, would they fill this whole class out with high school guys? Yes, they would if they got the guys they wanted. But they're not going to go out there. And, and by the way, it's not about rankings, as we've talked about. Some of these guys that they're pursuing are ranked outside of the top 100. At least one of them is. Hmm. They don't care. And, and it appears when you look at his offer list that they're right because he got half the Big Ten and Duke <laughs> offering him. <laughs> so clearly he can play. But I think this is what we're going to see, and not just from Michigan State. I think you're going to see this from a lot of schools. You know, you've seen it this year where, you know, places like Texas and Kentucky and Kansas have filled holes in their roster with transfers. Mm -hmm. That is not going to stop. You are going to see more and more of that. I'm convinced of it, Um, especially those high majors. And, And one reason is exposure. A second reason is you know, playing on a bigger stage that is more attractive to the pros, but you hit on an important one, which I wasn't even thinking about initially, which is greater NIL opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to see how all this stuff, we're in such uncharted waters on that front that we really can't tell for sure how that's going to play out. But, you know, it hit the news, I think it was yesterday, that Nick Saban claims that Alabama's quarterback this season he believes is close to a million dollars so far. Now now look, that's an exceptional situation. That's a football happy school. It's the quarterback. You know, there's, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the norm, but boy, it tells you something, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So at a place like Michigan state, that starts to become a compelling thing as well. I think you're absolutely right to point that out. Um, I think with MSU, the, even if they're going that route, they're not going to be a team that you see connected with 19 transfers. They're going to be selective. They're going to be targeted in terms of who they look at, who they want to bring in. They're going to be conscious of it being the right fit, both in terms of a skill set and position, um, but also in terms of the the mentality and the personality of the player. Mm-hmm. You know, but I do I do think we're going to see this now where every year if they need to fill a hole, they're going to go that route as opposed to, well, we want to stretch and offer this guy on a little bit of a reach that maybe we wouldn't have offered in, in you know, July of last year. But we're going to offer him now because we need a body and we've missed on some guys and we think maybe he's got a chance. I don't think they're going to play that game. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to have a lot of company in that regard from, you know, other programs at their level. So, so it'll be interesting. We'll see. I I don't get the sense that anything on the 22 recruiting front is super imminent with any of these guys, even Holloman. Mm -hmm. But, but I would expect that we're on a time frame where a lot of these guys start making decisions, say come September, you know, it's going to be, we were, we were spoiled last year because we had everything wrapped up. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but it, it, this is more of a conventional, I think, wait till the fall kind of year. Uh-huh. Well, um, 
Rod, I mean, what do you think uh, as far as just sort of the high-level things going on around the league? Um, the big news which recently was Kofi Coburn coming back yeah. to Illinois. Well, first he, yeah. he he takes himself, he puts himself in the portal, then he declares the NBA, and then he winds up coming back to Illinois. Uh, really strange. I you know I don't know fully what to make of that. First of all, I assumed he was going to stay in the draft. Not that I thought he would have a great shot, at least immediately, of playing in the NBA. But um, I thought he was done, mm-hmm. you know. And it, and God, God help us, this could be one where, and I haven't seen anything definitive on this, but it's possible that he might have looked at this and figured, I can make a killing in one more year with NIL. Uh-huh. And that that's why he came back as opposed to, you know, the rationale has always been, hey, you've only got so many miles on the tires available to you. Even if you're not getting an immediate start in the NBA, it's worth it. You know, get your pro career started, start earning money, blah, blah, blah. Right. That was always a rationale for guys to go, even if they weren't looking at the NBA immediately, immediately. Mm-hmm. Now you have a situation where, it's entirely possible that you might make more. If you're a star like he is, you might make more from NIL in a, in a year than you would on a first-year two-way contract. It's mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know about the specifics of that. That might be a little bit of, uh, of hyperbole, but probably not much. I mean, it's hard to guy, know. I mean, we, it, it, it's yeah. just hard to know right now how much they, they actually can get. And and if, look, if you're not in an if you're not on an NBA deal, then I think it's very possible. You know, it, the you know one option for guys was always to go over and play in Europe, right? Well, definitely in those cases, you could stand to trump that with a year of NIL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know we've we've been talking about NIL, I think, and and other similarly you know related kinds of uh, phenomenon that are going on around around the collegiate sports world i think we've talked about it mostly in the context of providing paths for high school players to circumvent ever playing college but one thing that's been lost in it and i think it's now maybe starting to be more of an obvious reality is might it for other guys actually keep them around longer? Mm-hmm. It might. I don't. Again, I don't know for sure everything that went on with Coburn, but th- there were two things that were interesting there, which you pointed out. The first, as we've been talking about, is just the decision to come back was surprising. But then he had put his name in the portal, and you got to remember the two assistants that recruited him, Orlando Antigua and um, uh, Chin Coleman both left this offseason to go to Kentucky. And so there was heavy, heavy speculation for a while that he was going to end up at Kentucky. He didn't. He opted to come back to Illinois. And why did that happen? I don't know. (laughs) I haven't seen – I I know that, you know, Kentucky had added a kid from West Virginia who was a big man as a transfer earlier in the portal. And so there was some supposedly some concern that maybe that wouldn't work out adding Coburn to that mix. I don't know. I mean, in Coburn, look, I think he's a flawed player in some ways, but it's, 
even though he's a completely different guy, I think the situation's very comparable to what Luca Garza's was last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you look at him, and he's got real issues for ever being an effective NBA player. And he's even got some flaws as a collegiate player, but the things he does well, he does really, really well. Kofi Coburn is going to be a walking double-double and a conference player of the year threat no matter where he goes. Yeah, Any league in America, he would fit that bill. So I don't know that I believe that Kentucky said thanks, but no thanks. I, I don't know that I believe that. Even with another guy on hand, I I still think you know they would they would have taken him because he's a guy who just elevates your whole team in, in some pretty important ways. So him coming back, it's been a weird off season for Illinois. Really weird. <laughs> if you remember, they lost Io, which was expected. Yeah. But then they lost Miller, who transferred to LSU, which was not expected at all. So that's okay. Now they're down two starters. Georgie left. Um, they did get some guys back. They got Trent Frazier to come back for an extra year. They still have Curbelo. Yeah. There was speculation about him maybe transferring to Kentucky. That didn't happen. Um, and uh, they have Williams back. And now they had Kofi. So this is. I'm not going to say that I would expect them to be as good as they were a year ago because I, I don't think that's true. But they go from being a team that you really had to wonder about, are they still NCAA tournament quality, to a team where now you look at them and say, hey, they could be in the mix. Mm. You know, Coburn will be, probably will be the favorite for conference player of the year, I would think. Um, and again, he's got some defensive issues, but man, Around the basket, there isn't anybody better in this league. And that's saying something because there are a lot of good big men yeah. still in this conference. But he's he's right up there. And, and so the positives outweigh the negatives, I'm sure, is the way Illinois looks at it. So you got him back. Michigan got their guys back. Um, Jones, the point guard who was a, a transfer from Coastal Carolina, um, it'll be interesting to see how he fits because I don't think he's – you know, Mike Smith was a to me was a surprise, a pleasant surprise for them last year. I didn't expect him to play as well as he did. Um, this kid is bigger and has um, more obvious strengths, but I'm not sure his style of play is as good a fit. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is they got Hunter Dickinson back, yeah. and apparently that was a much closer call than I think many expected. So the kid says, I, I didn't think he was going to go. Um, even though there was part of me that thought, well, why are you sticking around? He's another example. I don't think he's likely to improve his pro prospect status because he kind of is what he is Yeah, physically. Yeah. You know, he's never going to be a particularly mobile guy. Um, you know, he's never going to be a guy that, you know, you look at and say, well, we could play him against every kind of lineup as a pro. Um, but again, was NIL a factor? I don't know. Maybe. Um, but he comes back for another year. So that, you know, that has those two decisions plus the, the hype around the number one recruiting class. Although honestly, if people have visions of another fab five, they, they need to recalibrate. This is (laughs) not that kind of class. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Michigan is probably going to be considered right there with Purdue, I would guess. 
as a preseason um, conference favorite with other teams like Ohio State, maybe Illinois. Um, also, Indiana's an interesting mix. one with they with are Jackson Davis back, and um, and then yep. they get Miller Cop from Northwestern, which is bizarre. they do, and they've added yeah, they've added some other guys too. I I agree with you. I think the only thing that tempers some expectations there is you got a new coaching staff. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't seen Mike Woodson do it at this level. You got a lot of new faces. How are they all going to blend? But I agree with you. I think Indiana um, should be much improved. You would think on paper, at least they look like they're much better. Um, Purdue, I think stands to be really good. Again, they got Trevion Williams back, which is not a big surprise, but it helps. And they've had guys in the, in the under 19 um, international basketball play, the FIBA world championship. They had two guys. They had Zach Addy, their, their freakish. Oh yeah. Seven foot three playing for Canada and playing very well. And then Jaden Ivey, their guard. If you remember, Jaden Ivey was hurt early. He was kind of banged up, wasn't playing well early. And then when Purdue really took off, kind of coming out of that ridiculous comeback they had in Breslin, which sort of kick-started their season, it appeared. Yeah. Um, Jaden Ivey was fantastic for them down the stretch, and he was great for Team USA. So... I think that the optimism around Purdue is probably warranted. They they look on paper to me. I will, we're not going to do our preview. I, I know listeners have gotten used to us doing a preview kind of early, like right after the rosters have settled, and then we do another one in the fall. Uh, given that we're coming up on the end of July, I don't know if there's any point in doing an early one. We'll probably mm. wait until the fall. Uh, to do our season preview, but right now, at least, I would be inclined to put Purdue as the preseason favorite in the conference. Um, I don't think they're heads and shoulders above a lot of people, but I, I think in terms of what they return and the potential for certain guys like Jaden Ivey to get a lot better, mm. they, they'd be my pick. I would pick them over Michigan for sure. Um, Ohio State's going to be interesting. There's some roster shuffling there. They lost to Wayne Washington, which I did not expect. Um, but they got EJ Liddell back. Yeah. yeah. And that's really important. You know, really, really important. I think without, if he had stayed in the draft, I think you'd be hard-pressed to see them having anywhere close to the kind of year they did last season. With him back, I think Ohio State can feel pretty good about their team heading into the season. And that's another team you'd probably put in the upper tier. Big Ten's going to be really interesting. Um, I, I don't think that there are overwhelming teams. There's nobody to me that you look at and think, wow, that's just head and shoulders, you know, clear cut the best team in the league. And I certainly think Michigan State, to bring it back around to what we all care about the most, I think Michigan State has a chance to be in this mix if uh-huh. enough things break the right way. But they've got more questions maybe than some other teams. A team like Purdue really doesn't have a lot of questions. Mm. Or, or maybe putting it a better way, the questions that exist are mostly about upside. Like, can Jaden Ivey take the next step and become an all-conference player? You know, um, that kind of thing. It's not, well, boy, they really need guys X, Y, and Z to, to be great. Mm-hmm. You kind of know they're going to be good. Trevion Williams, you know what he's going to do. You know, um, 
some of their other guys, uh, Stefanovic, you know, he's going to shoot well, you know, they've got guys that are known quantities. Um, but yeah, it looks to me like it's going to be a very competitive season. Um, you know, I see, I definitely see room for improvement. I think Michigan state's going to be better than they were last year. I'm convinced of that. Um, Tyson Walker alone, I think, is going to make enough of a difference there. Mm. But beyond that, you know, Michigan, very different team with the guys they've lost and a younger team. And, you know, is Cardell Jones, their new point guard, is he an answer in the way that Mike Smith was? Well, that's an open question, even though he's on paper a better talent. Is he a better fit for what they need? You know, Hunter Dickinson, I thought people started to figure him out a little bit mm-hmm. down the stretch. Yeah. He wasn't as good in March as he had been in January. Does he find another gear? He could. And he very well might. He was better as a freshman than I thought he was going to be. So he was a guy I thought maybe over three years would, would be really good. He was He hit that gear as a freshman, but... Can he, can he find another level of improvement? And then beyond that, you know, hey, they lost a lot of guys. They lost Livers. They lost Chondi Brown. They lost Mike Smith. They lost Franz Wagner. That's a, Austin Davis. Yeah. That's, a lot of, that's a lot of guys that they lost. Um, their freshmen are, some of them at least, are very highly regarded. But how quickly do those guys get up to speed? And is the whole as good as it was last season. I think there's reason to wonder about that. Um, we talked about Illinois. We talked about Ohio state. There's intriguing things about those teams, but there are questions. Um, IU, you mentioned there's reasons to be optimistic that they're going to be better than they've been. Um, I think the teams that look to me like they're heading down Iowa very clearly is not going to be very good. Yeah. I don't think, I think it's, you know, Wiest camp is, is staying in the draft. I believe I yeah. saw. Yeah. And, and of course, Luca Garza is done. Um, those two coming back and Bohannon's <laughs> come back. Great. Well, um, he's yeah, got, he, he's gonna, he's gotta be pushing the oldest college basketball player ever. I, I don't think. know. Iowa, Iowa has the ultimate though in their history. Jess settles. That was the guy that's, always been the benchmark in this generation because <laughs> I think because of injuries, I think he actually played six years. I wow. think is how it worked. Uh, but he was always the guy that's been the reference point for been around, you know, old man, river, Methuselah, whatever you want to call it, been around forever. Um, I think I was clearly going to trend down. Now I, I don't think they're going to fall off the face of the earth and be an eight win team, but they're, they're not, yeah, the, there's no way that they sustained anywhere close to the level they were a year ago. I think Wisconsin is heading for a fall. Not that they were great last year anyway. They were arguably, other than Michigan State, maybe the biggest disappointment mm-hmm. in the regular season. But uh, they lost a lot of guys and a lot of turmoil. We haven't gone into it on the podcast, but you know there was some stuff that came out about how things went with a lot of those veterans and Greg Gard, and it wasn't all positive. And then of that group, remember, there was this worry that, oh, God, all those guys from Wisconsin could all come back for another year. Mm-hmm. Well, as it turned out, I believe Brad Davison is the only one who did. 
Trice and Ford and um, the two big kids, Potter and um, Reavers. Reavers, all opted to go. So Wisconsin has some talent. I mean, Davison is a veteran. He'll help. Um, Johnny Davis was pretty good for them last year, and he played uh, for USA Basketball this summer. So they, they, they're not going to fall completely off face of the earth, but I think this is probably going to be I'm going to guess it's going to be um, a Wisconsin team that that's not anywhere near what we're used to seeing. Yeah, you know they've they've that's only fair. missed they've only missed the tournament once in the last what twenty some years. I I don't we'll take a in depth look as we get closer to the season, but just from recollection of what they've got coming in and and what they have returning this might be another year where they don't, they don't make it, mm-hmm. you know, and then the rest of the conference, you've got, you know, Penn state's got a new coaching staff. Minnesota's got a new coaching staff and they both lost some guys. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a transition year. Northwestern lost Miller cop, which was not great for them. Certainly they've got a good recruiting class coming in, but that was a blow. Um, so, you know, I thought this was the year that, they might start to cycle up again, mm-hmm. but you lose arguably your best player. What kind of damage does that do to that progress that they're making? Nebraska, they've got one elite recruit coming in. Um, it's another year of roster shuffling. There's some guys that stayed in the draft, guys that transferred out. It's like they, Fred Hoiberg is yet to be able to find stability there. You know, does that, does this finally start to become a point where, um, he begins to make progress, you know, mm-hmm. um, we'll find out Rutgers got some key guys back. So that helps, but they did lose miles Johnson to UCLA, which was a big blow because that was a, a guy who was really important, especially in a big 10 with so many high quality big men. Yeah. Um, to lose him was a big blow, but they did get Ron Harper jr. Back. Um, that was major, uh, can Rutgers keep their recent momentum as an NCAA tournament quality team and keep moving it forward? So it's going to be interesting. Um, definitely, uh, definitely a year where I think there there are not as many clear cut answers and and as we're used to having maybe and maybe yet at the same time maybe more of a clear demarcation between haves and have nots like. I yeah. could see a number of programs that I don't think I would expect to be very, very good. And another group that pretty clearly looks to be NCAA tournament caliber, at least. So there may be more of a haves and have nots thing than we've seen over the last few years where the league's been pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, anything, anything else? No, anything? I think that, that about covers it. I mean, it was a, I, I will say, going back to what we kicked things off with, I view this as a pleasant surprise because, honestly, and I know I've talked about it here before, I was a little worried about mm-hmm. their depth on the wing. So you add a guy, and he's not a star, don't get me wrong, but you add a guy who's played a lot of minutes at the D1 level and and can do at least one or two things. He's a pretty good wing rebounder, too, but the fact that he can rebound and the fact that he can defend the way he can, there's, I feel a little bit more of a comfort level mm-hmm. 
than I had previously. It's it's a bigger deal than it might seem to be on the surface to some people, in my opinion. Okay. Well, we'll uh, leave it at that for now. Until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.